fool and knocking at the door. And that you, Sam, and that you, Sam, you had better stop that knocking at the door. Let me in. Stop that knocking. Let me in. Stop that knocking. Let me in. No you had better stop, stop that knocking at the door. Let me in. Stop that knocking. Let me in. Stop that knocking. Let me in. You had better stop that knocking at the door. All right, everybody, we are back with another episode, um, a different episode this week, because we are talking about the first season of Love craft country yes the show that your mama and your grandmama and you watched maybe together maybe not you shouldn't have but if you did we're talking about it today (laughs) and we have a special guest with us to kind of you know help us get through a lot of things that we're going to kind of touch on this today we've got mark estes on here mark you want to say hi introduce yourself to everybody Hello, it's your boy, Mark. Um, I am here to discuss all things and anything that, you know, for this October season, um, I love our country, whatever comes up. I'm, y'all gotta excuse me, I'm just flustered because it's been like a long week. So, but I'm here, I'm here mentally and spiritually, so I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wish... I wish I, I wish I could say it was a long week. I literally felt like it was Friday yesterday. Like I just feel like the time went by too fast. And mm. next thing you know, I'm like, oh, it's already Friday. Um, yes. Yeah. And I'm just like, it's gonna be. And then to know that the election is in literally two weeks. But um, up, 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 up. We're not talking about the election. We're gonna right get now. on that. We're gonna just kind of <laughs> stay on task here. So we're gonna talk about the whole first season. Um, Mark is is kind of the king of horror. I like to say uh, when it, he mm. knows a lot about it, and uh, we wanted him on the show because we wanted his expertise and all that greatness. Um, and is this gonna be? fun because there's a lot being talked about with this series and there's a mm-hmm. lot of expectations and it was pushed to so many different levels and it was great and Misha Green did what she needed to do with the show but we're just going to kind of talk about some things that we noticed and we saw and like and dislike and I also just want to put out there that we we think it's always great to critique anything especially when we do I think when we are critiquing it we're doing it out of love we're not doing it out of jealousy and hate but we also know that there are some people because of the way uh institutional race, racism <laughs> works there was a lot of different views with this and that's 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 your thing but for us we are doing this because we want to we want to pay our respects to what it was and you know and show our and and show that we do have different views and opinions and I don't know what, else, know what else to prepare you for. So I'm just going to leave it at that. But let's just kind of get into a few things. Um, and let's just talk about, let's talk about when we first heard this was coming out and how you felt when you first knew about this. So since Mark, you're our guest, I'll, I'll turn it over to you first. Um, I actually came across the book version first because, you know, I was the um, acquisitions person for my library in my hometown. And so I came across it. I'm like, Black people in a Jim Crow era fighting racism and literal demons. I am, sign me the fuck up. Um, 
we can't curse on it, right? No, you can curse. Okay, I was making sure. <laughs> Some people have family friendly podcasts. Um, but I was all there and I started reading the book and I didn't finish it. But I said, this will make for a great television series. So when they announced that Misha Green and Jordan Peele and JJ Abrams and all of them had sat there and came together to create a television show, I was like, well, I need to go back and read this book and try to finish it. Um, so I was champion. I championed it from day one because again, it's something that we usually don't see with uh, black people being the center of a uh, hard narrative. And even though the author of the book is white, it was just that it felt like behind the, but with the, with Misha behind the reins of the show, it seemed like there was a big chunk of Black history where we was neglected, we were not neglected, but we was like pushed to the side. We, we were not able to play in this sandbox in terms of movies and stuff like that. And so, uh, in in this genre, so I was there for day one. Um, I I wanted the show to succeed. I wanted it to be well liked and i think it exceeded those expectations for me in terms of like water cooler talk i wasn't expecting that it would be um making what's the word i wasn't expecting it to break barriers and break um um ratings number like break you know like you know make 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 records as each week as it, as it came out and word of mouth got to the point where it became a pop culture staple in like these times that we're living in right now. So I'm, I'm very proud of what Misha did with this story and how she enhanced it from its source material. I think for myself, um, I I had heard of H.P. Lovecraft, the author. Um, I hadn't read any of his uh, works. I know that he himself is uh, racist um, mm. and has very negative views of Hispanics, Jews, and Black people. So when I heard about this, I was like, okay, this is an interesting take on something sci-fi because... Growing up, my mom, um, she was heavy into sci-fi. I mean, it was with uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the original War of the Worlds, um, all these different, you know, 50s, 60s type movies that were coming out during the time. So sci-fi was something that we talked about and watched a lot. Um, So I was... I was interested to see in it. Um, it held my interest for the majority of the time. Uh, there are some rightfully so necessary critiques of the show, and we'll get into that later. But overall, I thought uh, the crew, the cast did a, a good job. I thought that um, it was an interesting take on this kind of source material and 
if we need a, a season two, I'm here for it. But honestly, I don't think we need a season two. I, you know, I was excited about it because this was talked about a few, like, I feel like a couple of years, you know, in the works and I was excited about it. I remember there was a book on it. Um, I looked at some parts of the book online because there was some, some pieces and things about it that I wanted to kind of check out for sure. I knew about Lovecraft and, you know, I feel like white people love some Lovecraft (laughs) when it comes to horror, you know, they always bring up some Lovecraft and I was like, yeah, but I never really got into Lovecraft type of stuff anyway, but I was very curious to see what this would look like. And I remember hearing the author of the book um, on a few podcasts over a couple of years talking about it. And I was thinking, okay, and then to know that Jordan Peele and J.J. Abrams were behind it, I think this is going to be a pretty good thing. And I was looking forward to seeing it all and kind of understanding that when it comes to horror, especially horror featuring Black people, it's going to be a little different. And it's going to be almost maybe foreign to many of us because we haven't really seen ourselves in this, in this genre that much. But also, we were going to have to be open to what horror means and what what happens in horror because i think what happens with us as black people we are not we just want to see black people and stuff but we kind of get a little bothered if we see a black villain or a, a black serial killer or something like that. that 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 doesn't really sit well with us and i remember thinking if this is going to be black horror it's going to focus on things that's going to be uncomfortable for us but also it's going to be in the horror genre. So it means everything that happens in a horror genre, it's going to happen with us. And it's going to be things that people are going to be really confused about, or, or maybe it's going to rub people the wrong way. So I knew that was going to come when this was going to hit. So when it came out, we got what we got. <laughs> um, so let's, let's, Let's talk about episodes that, if it was one or two episodes that really kind of stuck out to you and why did that kind of hit you in a certain way, positive or negative? Start with me or? Yeah, you can. You can go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, episode one and two, to me, served as a pilot. It's like a two-part pilot. Um, and I think... Ooh we, um, I had to rank these recently after the fe- after um, season finale. The episodes that stuck out to me were I look at Sundown and Whitey's on the Moon as a one big episode, one big pilot. So I look at them as one big episode. So there's that, those two combined into one. Strange Case and nineteen twenty one rewind uh, rewind nineteen twenty one. Those are the ones that really stuck out to me. And and Holy Ghost. Because they really like incorporated like the race as the race aspect of the show, like you guys said earlier a few minutes ago. I too was leery about Lovecraft. I mean, when I was getting to my horror stuff, I was like, um, "Let me go read up on Lovecraft." Everybody here asking, "Has I read? Have I read X, Y, and Z by Lovecraft?" And when you get to do your research, you get to, you know, like, get a little discouraged, like, oh, he was a racist. So I never fully read most of Lovecraft's stuff. Um, I've seen movies adapted by it, but 
you know, that was it. But in terms of like the TV show, the episodes, um, also it's also I'll be reading the book. The reason why these particular episodes stuck out is because the way the book was structured. I don't want to spoil anything, but the book itself was made was was Matt Ruff created the book as a means of an episodic chapters. Each chapter was episodic, and the way the TV show went, um, they they felt like episodes. So those particular chapters stuck out to me, and that's probably why I was why why I accepted these four episodes I listed because they were like adaptations of those particular chapters. But I felt like to be perfectly honest with y'all, I feel like Misha did a better job because it's one thing to have somebody white write about this, but it's another thing to have somebody black behind it and to enhance those nuances and stuff. So Sundown and Whitey's on the Moon, you know, you got the feel of the world that, that we're get ready to um, occupy for the next eight episodes. So we got the rules, we got like the, the characters and all this stuff, but we got how, like, it's not only did they have to fight off these monsters and whatnot, they have to fight off race, they have to fight off racism, they got to fight these monsters. So it's like this back and forth, like, you know, Yes, there's magic, but you know, what's magic? What good is magic in the world that we're living in right now? We don't have no power over it, and we're just pawns to it. Then you go to Strange Case, which is the reason, which is um, I felt like was a great episode because it, um, for me, redeemed the character of Ruby from the book. Um, my personal opinion of Ruby in the book, I didn't. I didn't like her when the when the book ended, but I felt like with you know the writing and the acting from everybody on the cast and crew, the it enhanced the character to a you know a, a very likable person in the show. And Rewind nineteen twenty one had me in tears because I was talking to somebody about how it's funny that HBO included two shows. Watchmen and Lovecraft Country that really brought to the forefront the Tulsa Massacres, uh-huh. the, the Tulsa Massacre, and how it, um, a lot of people are trying to, like, they, they get into, like, really, like, see what the hell happened. But I felt that while Watchmen gave us a glimpse of it, Lovecraft Country put us in the middle of it. And so seeing, like, all this, you know, pain and suffering that went down during that whole episode, it just brought tears to my eyes. I, I, I was distraught after it. I was just like, I, 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 I couldn't move for like a good 10, 15 minutes after the show ended because I was just, you know, emotionally drained in a good way. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if, if, if there is a good way. But it just did something to me. It just did something to me. And so those episodes stick out. And if I had to pick a fifth, it would be I Am. Because I felt like it was beautifully written. It was beautifully acted and beautifully shot. And, you know, so those are my episodes that stuck out. Um, I'm interested to see what y'all got up, you know, your sleeves. So. <laughs> 
I think for me, one of my favorite episodes was like you said, Mark, um, I am, um, like I said previously, like growing up with sci-fi, it wasn't anything that was different or unusual. So to see a plus size, dark skinned woman at the forefront of this particular episode, going through all of these multiverses was something that I've I've never seen that before. And then you had the, uh, how it was shot. Um, A lot of the pieces, one of them reminded me of when, I think it was, was it Endgame? When Thor actually got uh, his powers back or some sort. Um, I'm blanking because I haven't seen a Marvel movie in like months. It's been too long. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Um, it reminded me of that and like just the whole cinematography of that episode was beautiful and I think it was not only an ode to black women who love sci-fi it was an ode to black women as being the originators Mm. and Mm. I, I think that was honestly that that one episode should be nominated for an Emmy uh, among other awards uh, the other, my favorite episode was uh, Rewind 1921 because it was just so painful to watch how just violently racist white people were and white people still are today. Um, the whole, um, where the family knew their, well, the great was she a great-grandmother or a great-great-grandmother? Was she knew that her fate was there to be burned alive in that building, but yet she knew that getting this book out was going to somehow save her lineage. And I think the quote was uh, she wanted her uh, great-great-grandchild to be, was it burned in her truth or... I have to find the quote, but it's something that it seemed authentic to the character. It seemed authentic to somebody in that situation would say, and it just seemed so valid in black people's plight to be recognized as equal in this country. And like you said, it was painful to watch. It was it was just truly tough to see how it went, a version of it, how it went down. And yeah, I was in tears that that episode for most of it. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I, um, hmm. I like what Mark said about the first two. It did set the world. It set the world what we're about to deal with. It set it set some of the characters really well I am was another was a big favorite just because again it did showcase black women but it also showed black women in this genre and different genres in a sense of action horror sci-fi it it it, it recognized those things and, I, and it also recognized the work done you know you think about people who have, black people who have written sci-fi and been a part of that world. You think of Kindred, you think of all those things. And I was getting that. I thought that was kind of a a thing to Octavia because of 
the fact that we were seeing that we were seeing what it could be and i know i made jokes about that being garnett but at the same time it was like we still haven't seen anything like that that is not animated you know and so therefore to have something to have these different types of people the being and the stars all those things like that was really interesting and fascinating because it also reminded me that there are so many other stories that haven't been told yet and I wanted to see more of that. I wanted to see more. We're about to see a movie about the the Amazons, but just seeing that was really inspiring and encouraging um, to be like, well, you know, that there has there has been a lot of African Amazons that have been it's been referenced to so many different things. Hell, even in Wonder Woman, the comic, they reference um, the Egyptian Amazons, uh, even though they showcase the whitest one, Artemis. They have had issues with talking about that, that the, the different Amazons across the world. So it was nice to see that and nice to hear that you should name yourself. And, and what does that mean when you name yourself? And, it, and that was something that hit to me about, you should name yourself. You should be able to, uh, to identify yourself and do that before someone else does that for you um, and claim that. And I love that part of that particular episode um, now that the episodes are slipping me, but I have to say, I enjoyed the introduction of Topsy and Bopsy in that episode because it helped show us more of the magic part. Because there some parts I felt like we were getting, like there was parts where it was like, here's like the, the basic magic part, but it was here where you got to see how it affects someone really directly, but how it uses some of the things, um, that has been made against us against us if that makes sense um to have those two you know dancing demons come after you is basically taking your fear or things because that was taken from i guess uncle tom's cabin and so they think about the things that you fear the most that's like if someone put that curse on me and all of a sudden i'm seeing alfred e newman i used to be scared of alfred e newman the mad magazine man and just having that come dancing at me while I'm at, you know, at Target or something like that, I'll probably be like, oh, I can't handle that right now. So, but to see that, I thought that was very, it was very crafty, it was very creative. I liked it that in some ways that they became a new icon that you can see. You know, you think about the twins and The Shining and you think about all these other things, they are now a popular thing. There are already pictures of people dressing up like Topsy and Bopsy. Um, there were rumors, if I can somewhat say, I guess I'm going to say it now, whatever happens. Um, that would have been something that was going to be featured at the Halloween Horror Nights um, and stuff like that. So again, that's rumor. But it, it's just more of like, that would have been neat and I would have been taking pictures and everything, doing squat poses, whatever I needed to do to be with them because I love them so much. Um, and yeah. The the, epi- the last episode was, it was a lot, but it was j- something that, Nick, that you said, and we talk about the great-grandmother and understanding when it comes to us and thinking about what our families or what black people had to do back in the day just to make sure that somebody is able to go to school or just to live, you know, it, it is just so much... Um, it's just so much to take in because that that was the that those sacrifices were real. They're still a real. They are still happening today, 
to where even if they're not black people, you got um, Hispanic people, you know, when making sacrifices to make a better world for somebody and what they are willing to do to do that. But you see now the, the, the cost of that. You got like these kids who there's like 600 families that are lost <laughs> and may not ever get back together again. But it was because of the sacrifice they were willing to make to make a better life. And that's something that we all we know way too well for what our families had to do whether our families had to work two or three jobs to make sure we had a tux for, you know, prom or whatever they had to do. These things, the sacrifices are still being made. And so to see that was really fascinating and interesting. And um, another thing that kind of stuck out to me in one of the episodes was as we, it was very clear when it comes to this genre or anything, white people will try to take ownership of something that wasn't theirs in the first place. And that was a reminder of, you know, you think about witchcraft, you think about um, anything that is happening, they, they want to own it first and take that power for themselves. Um, uh-huh. Not understanding where it truly comes from. I will always love Coven for this because when Angela Bassett talked to Jessica Lange about like, you took every like you stole everything from us. Everything you got came from us. And so I'm thinking of this is somewhat the same thing. It's like, here comes the, you know, here comes the this white family, all blonde, you know, and then had the audacity to have Tony <laughs> go. Right. I was like, offense if you'll sit your ass down somewhere. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, you're already problematic to me, even though I find you highly attractive as a regular man. Well, here you are going to show up like this, but it just reminded me of how much of these people are still trying to, even though they know it wasn't theirs, still trying to take it and still trying to own it. You know, Christina was the epitome of whiteness to me. And Mm. I was like, you are that person that I have worked with. You are that person Mm -hmm. that we're dealing with today. You are that person that I have to be mindful of when I'm in the room. Right, you know, that you would still try to take either take credit or take the hardship that you didn't earn, or you know, it's like, well, I blah blah blah, the whiteness of it all. So, yes. I feel like that the episodes were all of them were giving us that and a reminder of that in those particular pieces. But I am um, the topsy and bopsy one and, and the final one, but also, and I keep forgetting these titles. When we got to know more about Montrose, that was very interesting to me because I had to step back for two seconds because, you know, at this point, we're all like, if you're going to showcase Black queer people, you got to do it, blah, blah, blah. But I had to remember that was during the time where I, not only were we going to get killed anyway, but we would have been just really, really killed and slaughtered Mm -hmm. for being out and to be able to put on drag or do anything like that. And so that episode, I had to remember like that part when he was just dancing and being free, that was a moment that many of us felt when we finally was able to be ourselves somewhere. We were finally able to maybe go to that first gay club or to hang with other gay people and to have that moment where I can just literally say, oh, I love Dick or I love Xanadu or I spun around (laughs) Wonder Woman, whatever we want to say, I love Jam. We were able, that freedom so the see mantras have that freedom was a moment that we have to remember because at that time everything was just 
on the table when it comes to how we want to be killed. So it was, that right. me was like a lot. And I was glad to see it, but I had to like remind myself, I had to remind myself that that is something that, um, that, that, that we have to kind of remember about the times. And, my, and the last thing I'll say about the episodes was what hurt me was when I learned that when they were, I think it was the second or third episode when they were playing, I think it was the third episode, uh, when they were playing with the Ouija board. Right. Oh, yeah, the the kids were playing with the Ouija board. Yeah, Yeah. and the Emmett Till character. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. When it was asked that, uh, am I half out of my trip? And he was like, um, no, you're not. (laughs) Like that. But the weight was so nonchalant. And Mm -hmm. to me, that was kind of sinister. Um, the way it was said, because we know what happens, mm-hmm. uh, and so that that was something that was like that was really really scary and sinister. Just to be like, oh, you're playing the Ouija board, and you can say something like, so, am I going to buy this shirt or something tomorrow? It was like you are, but you're going to hate it. Not meaning that could mean yeah, you get killed in it. <laughs> like it's something like that. Right. Like, oh, but it didn't really get into that detail. Um, that was really something and then that ep- and then the that episode when they had his funeral that was hard to because mm. just to imagine like everybody's there but then to smell the body um mm. that so it was so hot yeah yeah that that just kind of took me to like a, a very interesting place of fear and horror that I wanted, that I like. That's what I love about horror, but it's like got me like, wait, wait a minute. I'm not ready to take that right now. Yes. But that was very, that was very needed. And I, and I think that we miss when it comes to this genre. Yes. I, I think um, a lot of people um, fail to understand about the the twins, the, the demonic twins the, on the, Jigabobo episode <laughs> is how everybody just left D. Like right. all the parents had just failed her. Even her mother, even though she was going through shit, like just said, "Oh, go that way." And it's uh, indicative of how not only society but the black community fails little black girls. Mm. You know, black girls are often. Uh, forced to grow up faster um they develop uh quicker than black males they if they're dressed in what older black people say is provocative she's quote-unquote fast um or when something happens to them oh we don't believe them um and i can point to um so many cases of black women and girls being confronted when it comes to sexual assault, when it comes to violence, when it comes to death, that, oh, we have to have the evidence first before we can believe you. It's not believe the victims first, and then let's have the evidence. You know, had this been a little white girl, you know, oh, we'll believe you till uh, the rivers run red and, you know, the stars fell out of the sky. But I, I liked how that episode showed how we fail Black 
little girls so often. And I hope that starts some kind of conversation as far as what we need to do to save our little black girls because it needs to happen. And it's a conversation that should have happened a long time ago. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I was going to say that it also, that episode and probably I am, well, not, not I would say not I am to an extent, but I would say the episode Jigga Bobo answered the question as to why Misha decided to switch the character, the, the gender of um, the, the character because in the book, D is a young boy named Horace and Christina is Caleb in the book. Um, so after watching that episode, it like solidified to me, like why was the, you know, why was the um, character switched? <laughs> because that gave her a chance to tell that, you know, that, that narrative, well, not that narrative, but just to tell that narrative through a woman's eyes, you know what I'm saying? So it was like, because I don't think that, that that goes to show what I was saying earlier that Misha enhanced a lot of the stuff that was in the book because that particular chapter was kind of short. It was, you know, if you if y'all saw the television show, if y'all seen this show, you know that these running around trying to, you know, find out, like she, she's trying to deal with what's going on and there's nobody there. Um, but it enhances it because she has her mom is gone, her dad is dead. Um, the main characters all got their own little um quabbles or stuff going on. They, they, they're going through their own little crap and they're not even paying attention to the fact they can't put that to the side for just a second to sit here and what's the word I'm looking for? I'm kind of I'm going blank right now. They can't comfort mm-hmm. the in her time of need and if they had of like took it a took it a step back out of their own crap and just sat there and you know realized how this was affecting her she probably would not have gotten you know like not kidnapped she probably have been cursed but I feel like her being cursed is the equivalent of like a you know a black girl running off and then they can never like something happens to her they can't find her, um, uh-huh. and she could become either you know uh, abducted, murdered, or just you know injured in some type of way. And then it's like after this, always did after the incident where what was me? What was I doing to the point where I was not looking after my you know? So it it it's. It, it 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 it, I don't think that could have been told. It probably could have been told with a young man, but I feel like it enhanced Misha enhanced that um part of the um book to a level that I don't think that Matt Ruff or even a black male um author could have you know I, it just it, it it had the perfect woman's black woman's touch. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it had to, if you want to tell that specific narrative, it had to come from a black woman's point of view. It right. couldn't have come from a man. It couldn't have come from, a, definitely come, come, couldn't come, come from a white man or a white woman. Right. It had to specifically come from a black woman to show how we always let down black little girls. 
Right. And also, it's it's interesting we talk about this because we think about again jumping back to the genre of things. I think about Carol Ann. Carol Ann was kind of you know left to her own devices and all that great stuff, but it was like she was all she was always make it was made sure she would always be taken care of and she will always be you know protected and what have you. Then you take that look at D, then that's not the case. You know, uh-huh. it wasn't. It was like an aftermath or afterthought to some degree. And I always think about how, you know, a, a white girl is treated when it comes to this type of stuff versus a you know, black girl. Again, we have not seen this that often. So it right. just touched on so many different things. I'm, I'm glad they did focus that part on D because I think about that speech they used from the young black girl who was a part, I think the Parkland shooting. And when she was talking about, I think that was where she got the speech from, um, from that young black girl who was, talking about how she's representing the black girls who don't, you know, who don't have a voice in those particular pieces. And that kind of tied into Dee's plight at the time. Um, I also thought about the audacity of the officers when they cursed Dee, because they knew they can just do it. Uh There was no, there was just no, like super planning they had to do. It was like, oh, let's just go do it right now. Let's go take care of her. Um, And do that to her, not thinking of, what that meant, I appreciated when D did go to, you know, the officers, and Nick was right because I I still pronounce Hippolyta as Hippolyta, and I'm basing that for Wonder Woman. But right. um, when she was like, well, I mean, well, they did uh, Hippolyta, and then D's actual name is Diana, yeah. so you could see that. Uh, for me, for me and you, that's where they got that from. So, I mean, they could say that they got it from somewhere else, but to me, that's going to be Wonder Woman and her mama. That's what it felt like. (laughs) To be honest, that's what it felt like because, you know, me me overthinking everything. I was sitting there like, that's interesting, Hippolyta, Diana. If you think of the the story of Wonder Woman and uh, her mother, it is somewhat similar. You do have it where it was like, okay, Diana, do what you need to do because in Wonder Woman... Diana was the only child in that entire mm-hmm. island. So they let her do a lot of things on her own and to, to kind of explore stuff. And then when she won the title and left, she was on her own. And her mother was, it was somewhat in the sense of like, you have to discover, you have to take the world on your own. I can't, I can only do so much, but at the end of the day, it's you. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of, I can see the correlation between those two types of Hippolyta's and Diana's. But um I, I really, I don't know. I, I think about, again, when it comes to those officers, those officers and what they did to D, it just kind of scared me in a way of like, this is how we, I think about the Atlanta child murders. And I think about yes. all those situations where we were not taken seriously. And, or I think about, oh my God, when, and it's, it's not in the same realm but i think about when that that young i think of viennese i can't remember a boy who escaped jeffrey dahmer and went to the cops and the cops literally sent that boy right back to jeffrey dahmer um how we as people of color and as black people that issue kind of sparked up another issue about police <laughs> you know when i thought about that too so it was interesting to see that curse happened to her and what type of curse it was. That was kind of fascinating to me. Let's see. Well, 
let's get into some characters because we had a whole plethora of characters to look at and play with. Um, I'm very curious to see who were your favorite ones and who were the ones you just did not, you just didn't see it for. <laughs> <laughs> um, my favorite character, it's, can I get two? Can I please get two? Um, maybe three. <laughs> um, I love, of course, I love Tick. Um, I love Atticus. I loved looking at Atticus. Um, well, I love the fact yes. that Atticus did not care about getting down to the to his birthday suit whenever it required him to. And so, yeah, I love Atticus, but I had, it faltered a little bit when the um, Meet Me and Die Gold episode came out and he shot um, G.I.'s friend, Cold Blood, because I didn't even pay attention to it, but he walked up and he just shot her. I'm like, Tick, no. I just know good and goddamn well you did not just kill this woman in Cold Blood. I was like, so they went back. It just it just goes to show you that your heroes have a little dirt on their um on their you know shine. You know what I'm saying? So it hurt me. So, but I love him because he represented me as a kid in an era where I felt like I was the only black person who was into science fiction and horror and all these fantastical tales and everything like that. I was like this unicorn growing up where I was at. So to see somebody like older and coming from a family that, you know, um, not only encouraged it, but also was just as fans of the stuff as well. It just was like, Oh my God. He, that's why I love him so much because I, he was, a he solidified my love for science fiction and horror and everything. This is, I mean, not saying that I didn't get that from like people like you, you guys, but it's just the fact that seeing somebody on screen because it's, it, it was just everything. Second and third characters that I end up loving, um, Letty and Hippolyta, because when I read the book, I actually thought of Journey Smollett as Letty. When I was reading the book before they made the announcement that they was going to do the television show, I thought of Letty, um, Journey Smollett as um, Letty. And to see that role, to see her actually not only get the role, but just take it and just own it was just everything. I Like my favorite moment is in this pilot episode when she's when walking into the, um, into the, not the deli, but like the um the restaurant, and she gave those women that look that look. I said she's gonna be hell. She's gonna be she's gonna be the hellfire of the entire show. She's gonna be just like everything. And then Hippolyta, because I felt like she was very and she was more interesting than the Hippolyta in the book. They gave her so much to work with and she just took it and I was like so when the end of I Am happened and Tick got thrown back through that portal and we did not see Hippolyte I said hold the fuck up do not tell me y'all gonna take another character from me that is actually still breathing in the book because uh, 
I felt that when she got all that knowledge, I'm like, she's going to be a big help to them. But if she's not coming back, they're just left in the, they're just left in their own devices. And it's not going to be pretty because they're already like, she seemed more level-headed than all the rest of them were. So those three are my faves. Um, if I had to do a, a honorable mention, it would have to be Montrose based on the fact of how they transferred him from his role inside the book. I felt that he was the, even though I love the other three, I felt, I, I also love Montrose. I love everybody on here, but I feel like Montrose was the biggest, what's the word I'm looking for? He was the biggest um, transformation from his um, book character. I don't know if y'all read the book, but in the book, he was very, I don't want to say he was a toxic, he, he, he represented toxic masculinity, but he was very rough. He was very rough with Tick. He was very rough with all the kids in the neighborhood. He was always grouchy and like, ur, ur. so to take him and to give him the role, we'll get to give him the storyline that they gave him the TV show. It was just like, it, 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 it made sense. Because behind all that rough exterior is a man who was just hurt his entire life because he couldn't live to be who he wanted to be. And he had to live up to this definition of what a black man should be. And mm -hmm. so that's why I love him. You know what? I mean, it's time to I'm gonna mention all four of them. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Whole cast. <laughs> I know for me, my favorite character was uh, Hippolyta. Um, I saw a lot of my mom in Hippolyta, as far as a woman who knows how to take charge. Um, I'm going to get answers, whether you are going to be here or not. Um, and I, th I think a lot of people saw, like, I mean, granted, she was a mother, but they, the mother figure of Hippolyta resonated with, I, I think, a lot of people. Mm. Um, I guess a least favorite character for me was, um, Montrose in a way, but I understand his struggle, you know, like Mark, like you said, he was trying to be this perfect man in an imperfect world. Couple that with toxic masculinity add a little hyper-masculinity, add the expectations of what that masculinity looks like in a Black community, and also homophobia, and being closeted, you have this perfect storm of a complete mess of a man. So I saw... Um, I saw kind of saw traces of my own father in him, which kind of turned me off in a way, or actually turned me off anyway. Um, but I under, like I said, I understand this going back and forth, and he was just so tortured and anguished that he didn't know what to do with himself. And a lot of the times I was like, okay, 
this nigga is getting on my last fucking nerves. Um, it especially uh, pissed me off uh, when they met the two-spirit person. Um, Yahima. Yes. And I felt that that was a real, that whole storyline was a real disservice to uh, the trans community. I think Misha even said that she was disappointed how that storyline turned out. Um, and didn't uh, he kill her? Well, didn't he kill them uh, like by slitting their throat or something mm-hmm. at the end? So I was like, okay, so they brought this character only for like 10 minutes just to kill them off. Uh, I felt that was very... I don't. It it rubbed me completely the wrong way, um, and that's an another reason why I had a issue with uh, Montrose. But I mean, it's understandable how he is the way he is because of what he's been through and what he's been forced to hide. So I can't fault him too much. However, I am going to talk about your black ass. <laughs> no, I, I feel that and that's that's what I love and hate about Montrose because it was that character it was the complex character that we we want but when we get it, it, it it's kind of hard to accept um, and that was something I had to like really again I had to think about this is where he is coming from but I also think about people that I've known who were in that in that situation before they came out they were rough. They were trying to be that black man, trying to be that person. I've seen a few black men that was that particular way most of their lives until they came out. And then all of a sudden they realized the harm that they caused or they realized what they really did to others. And I, I think that about Montrose, that was that thing about him that even though like, for example, he's like, I'm just trying to take my family by doing kind of the wrong things. Uh, I was like, uh, okay, but that's no different than what sometimes we've seen people do in order to protect their family. They will end up doing the wrong things or doing the things that is worse. Like, for example, you think about, you know, some black men feel like, you know, take care of my family. Yeah, I'm out here gangbanging and drugs and all this stuff. And it's like, well, then you, oh, oh, okay. Wouldn't chose that route, but understand why that route was, that was the chosen route. You know, so it's all, it's, it was so much with that. With his character, my favorite character, I, I'm like Mark, I had a couple. Uh, <laughs> I had more than a couple. Um, was Hippolyta, just because of what she meant to the show and what she meant to the people. Like, you know, when, when everything came down, they listened to her. She was the motherboard. She was that person. And that's what I really like, especially when you got into her character. Um, Uncle George, because Uncle George represented many of us who love, again, sci-fi, that genre, and knowing that genre well. I love when, when in the first episode, he was like, when, when that man was, was bit by, um, I want to say the Mongolo, but that's not what they're called. When they were, when he was bit by the, by the monster, he was like, you know, like vampires, if you get by, you have to kill them. You got to, you need to kill them. And it was like, yes, that would be me in a situation like, y'all know, we have to kill this person regardless because if they got bit, they either come back as that or they're going to get us. So we have to do something about that. 
So I appreciate it, Uncle George. And I love the fact that he was all about when it came to their fantasy, it was mostly books for him. Mm-hmm. It, you know, some of us, we would have been like Atticus or two or three Atticus at one, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, but, you know, it was all books. And so I appreciate that. I did enjoy Atticus. Um, for the fact that he was a complex man, and I did appreciate that. Also, you know, and I'm not going to lie, that is a beautiful man. Yes, God. He is a beautiful man. Full features, nose, lips, skin, yeah. all that. I, the, I was like, I remember I saw a poster, and you know, here, these posters are huge. So I'm sort of just looking and lusting. I'm like, I'm supposed to be um, running this track. And here I am thinking about stuff. Look at <laughs> you know, so it's like, yeah, I enjoyed him. Um, I enjoyed Letty because Letty was that firebird and it, it needed to kind of, you know, push certain things when it was, you know, afford. And in the mix was Ruby. I like seeing the struggle of what Ruby was going through. Um, but at the same time, I was mad at Ruby because she could not see past. Like her whole thing was like, I want to get this job at you know, Mar- okay, so Mar- it's not Marshall Fields, but yeah, it's Marshall Fields. It's Marshall Fields. Yeah, and I was like, is that? I had to remember the times, but I was like, is that all you are striving for? Which why, when I saw I am, that was a moment for me because I was like, that's what I wish Ruby would have went through. Mm-hmm. I wish Ruby would have went through that so she could see that there's more than the working at this department store. You know, it's, um, and you're, and looking at whiteness at a level where you just want to work at a department store was kind of, it was like, wow, that's like saying for me to be a manager at Target would make me, uh, a solid person, you know, and for some people, right. no shade, some people that that's fine for them. That works for them. Uh, I think that was like indicative. I think that's indicative of what the black community has to go through mm-hmm. because we're not given the same advantages as white people. We have to work twice as hard just to get half of what they want. So the whole notion of, Oh, I want to be a salesperson at Marshall Fields, you know, I think that has some to black people in the hood in Chicago in the South side of Chicago at that time. Mm-hmm. That was like the, the apex of making it out, making it out of the ghetto. Yeah. Um, and I like my family, we come from the South side of Chicago. So that whole getting out of the hood mm-hmm. type of mentality is very strong. Um, so I, I under I understand where Ruby was coming from because you know a lot of black people you know once you made it out of hood and yada 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 and rah 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 you know you can't you can't say shit to anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I understand where she's from yeah. where she want she only wants that as a goal. Yeah, and I, that was just it was just it was hard for me because it was like I. One, I was like, I have to remember this is the times. But then to look at the situation, I have to think, I think it was hard for me because I know that was, that has happened in my family where it was like where I grew up in Union City, Tennessee. 
um, the goal for us as black people was if you got a good job at Tyson Chicken or you got a good job at Goodyear, right? That was it. You didn't need nothing else. And right. you know, my family, we we own two homes. We own the my mom had one home that she had in the black neighborhood, and then she bought one in the white neighborhood just to say she can do it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it was that reality of, well, we've made it. Victor, you, you have all the things you have. You're able to do all this stuff. You have your own phone line, your own TV, all this, because we've made it. But when you stopped and thought about it, it was like, but you are working eight hours a day slinging tires. That, you know, that, I guess that was kind of the thing that maybe that what struck a chord with me was like, knowing that my mom and my stepfather were working in factories. He's working in a dog food factory where they're killing horse. Like you literally see them with dead horses going to this place. Um, and then you also, my mom working in a, in a Goodyear. So that was kind of like that to them was making it. And, but at the same time, they pushing me like go to college because we don't want you to be in this same boat. Right. Um, even though that was kind of what was already destined for many of us to do, and which many people in my town, no shade to y'all in Union City, end up doing before Goodyear shut down. Mm-hmm. And when they, when that shut down, they had nothing else. And so that's why I guess that just kind of struck me in a lot of ways. Even though that had, it's weird how that 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 particular part of Ruby triggered so much of like, oh my God, that is that that is a reality, and that is a a thing that I I didn't I never wanted to be in, and I I it was just so much. It's it's, it's kind of weird to think about it now, but it's like yeah, she struggled with that, but also her thinking that if she was a white woman, how things would be, and yeah. I think that was kind of that interesting thing of her being that white woman and realizing again she was a woman. And yeah, things might have been slightly different, but it's at the end of the day, it's not that that much difference. Um, um, and I think what really kind of hit me was when she had sex with 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 um, Christina, basically. Uh, and when she said that, she said, "I just didn't want to be a black woman fucking a, a white man." And sometimes, I think that struck a chord for some of us who have. Um, somebody that they've been with who, you know, is white or what have you, because I know my partner eight years was white. Um, there were times I had to question, like, in the midst, uh, we were together during the midst of uh, Trayvon Martin, and that was something where it kind of, like, hit me, like, I'm with him. He's here at this march with me. It, what does that mean? So that was that was a lot with Ruby's character that I... I, you know, I, I won't say least. I'll take that back because I think what Ruby's character did was make me look at a lot of things about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think confront some things I felt about whiteness and everything and thinking if that was one way that this, things could be better. So I won't say that was a least. I, I think that was, she was a challenging character to me. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. Especially because, uh, you know, my partner's white too. And it's coming up on 14 years, I think. Um, and to see 
Like I, there was a, a few times that I had to sit his ass down and tell him, you know, I can't do certain things because of how I look. And then I think it like, it finally had clicked to him. And when Ruby was saying, um, you know, you know, fucking a white man, I'm like, well, girl, (laughs) (laughs) I understand girl. Um, And there was a, um, before it was revealed that William was Christina, Ruby had had consensual sex with William. She didn't have consensual sex with Christina. So it was almost to me as, as if Christina had sexually assaulted Ruby. Am I, like, I can't be the only one that thinks that. I never, let's just say it's, that's a whole complicated um, um, thing. I'm not saying that it's, because I, I felt that it was a sort of betrayal. When, because okay. I, I was like, when she, because I, in the, okay, I don't want to spoil anything else in the book. It was. Go ahead and spoil the book. If they're not going to read it. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it's just that that's not in the book. It's not in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that, but I had an inkling that Christina and William were the same person all the way back in the first episode because you, I can't recall seeing them together in the same scene. Although right. they, although they probably did, um, they probably did like the beginning. But I think what. I think she said that somebody shot William somewhere and um, she hit him in the something or whatever. But when I saw that, I was like, so this is how duplicitous you are to get this power. Mm-hmm. You are willing to like play with the heartstrings of a black woman and to... Uh, and it just it, like, it, but I, I mean, it, it makes sense for you, for you to see that. And because when you said it, I was like, oh, that's a, that's a new way of looking at that because that was not, it wasn't cool. Yeah. Because no. Ruby went like, Ruby was like, finna sit there tell Letty, like, yo, um, I got a, I got this, you know, backdoor playing but then she looked at it like well i can't even like i don't know who to trust now because you just sat there lying to me about uh being a man and uh-huh. what else are you up to you know because that 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 whole scene when she sat there and said you've been william this entire time i felt that rage in her because that wasn't cool that wasn't cool right yeah and i and i, and I see where you're coming from because a part of me was like you just kind of you just did this. And then when you think about it, yeah, you're doing all of this work to steal. <laughs> you're like, you're doing all this work to steal. It almost reminds me of, um, you know, when people, when they engage in sex and they say, oh, I'm putting on the condom and then they take the condom off mm. when they're, that's what that reminded me of too. Uh, what is it called? Sheathing or something like that? I don't uh, for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, we had talked about it, oh my God, last year, the year before last. Um, that's what 
that whole issue with uh, Ruby, William, Christina reminded me of as well. Yeah. We kind of already, speaking of Ruby, we kind of already kind of, we scratched the surface of that, but there's been a lot of talk about the colorism between Ruby and Letty and what have you. And I think it's interesting because when you think about the roles, usually it's the light-skinned person who is trying to like, don't do this, we gotta play by the rules. Um, but it was a little bit different with this time, at this point. Um, it was, you know, Letty being light-skinned, able to kind of play this. And also they talked about that issue of something that we have faced within our own community about their, they don't have the same, I think they don't have the same father, I think. Yeah. And, yeah, that's and, right. And so that's something that has always happened within a lot of our families, because sometimes, you know, parents, they have different kids and some of them are treated differently than others. And that was kind of brought up when Ruby would talk about, you know, how she was treated versus how Letty was always given that. And that kind of brought subtleties to the whole issue of colorism, because you think about the way Letty, they both were always treated bad by all people in some mm -hmm. ways, but you think about like who her mom left the money to and how Letty was able to get those things. She was able to get Atticus. She could, she was kind of the one who can save all of them at the end of the day. It is those, the small parts of what that meant. I could see how that could trigger, trigger colorism because it's like, why does she have to be the one to do that? But when you look at everything, there were so many different roles that all the characters played that was very important to them being successful. I, right. I, I, Ruby represented a lot of different things and we kind of already mentioned this of some of our own plights uh, when it comes to how we feel as black people in a white world or if we with someone white or what we would think it would be if we were able to be on that side of things. And I think about my own self when I got into my career in education, how what I do is, is different than what most people do. And Mark, you can answer because you, 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 you've been in that world uh, where it's like, it's, you know, you understand your role as an administrator and you understand like, okay, well, I've made it to this level now. So therefore, mm -hmm. um, I, I should have all the things afforded to me, not understanding that I still have to deal with, with racism, right. white womenism, all that stuff within the field that I'm in today, <laughs> which yes. is always a reality check. So I think that Ruby and the colorism piece, it's, it's very interesting how it triggers that. I didn't think that, I didn't think it was done on purpose. You know what I mean? Like, I think it was in the way it was done in a, and what I mean by on purpose was like, we, we cast a light-skinned person so they can have all that and the dark skin to have all that. I think it was done in a way that shows us what was happening at that time but also the true real life struggle that happens because you, because sometimes that is the case, you know, sometimes it is as if you are a fat black person, how things are different for you. And I, I sometimes I took it to a different level where I think about <laughs> the bear community, mm -hmm. um, oh. how we are treated within the bear community, but I have to own that. Yeah. Even though I'm in, I'm, I, I don't, I guess I'm in it cause I've been told I'm, in the bear community um so i just took it but at the same time how 
I am treated versus maybe my darker skinned brother would be treated. Um, how he would be looked at versus how I'm looked at or and stuff like that. So I can see those vast differences. Again, I can I overthink stuff. So I, I admit that, that I took all that to a different level. But, I, but the colorism part to me was like what we saw with Ruby. It, it made sense to her character because when you have a person who's been not afforded those things or not able to win per se, mm. you may feel like you needed to connect with that whiteness in order to get something. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, like you said earlier, I can, I get it, but uh, being the, being the only black male who, assistant director librarian i don't want to say in the state of tennessee but at that point in time it felt like it mm-hmm. because when i was walking we went to a conference this tennessee library conference we went there and um i felt like a unicorn walking into like i think it was in nashville that year we it, it felt like everybody kept looking like oh look at and it was weird but like you said you know um Vic, it's like you still have to deal with the hell, colorism, white womanism, tokenism, you know what I'm saying? And it was just like, everybody kept saying, well, you know, you need to be, you know, you can be a um, a pillar for all of the black young men who want to be librarians because, of course, there was tons of black female librarians all over the place, but it was like a black man. And they were saying, like, you're breaking the myth of black, that, that black boys and black men do not, you know, read. And I'm like, black men, I've never believed in myth, but it got to the point where I guess so, and, you know, I didn't see myself reflected in the people I was serving a lot mm-hmm. to the point that I, like, started to believe for a little bit. But the thing that, um, the thing that, you know, like, snapped me out of that was, you know, I saw a young, another young little black boy, and I felt like he was being groomed in the same manner. And it was just like, you know, I don't want this to see. This, I don't want to see this happen to this young man. You know what I'm saying? Because they tried to groom me, and I shook it off. And it's like they're trying it again with him. So I just told him, when you get the opportunity, get the fuck out of here. Don't, don't lollygag. Don't, don't rely on them to help you out or whatnot. Just find a path of your own. You know what I'm saying? So there's that. But I noticed some people were criticizing that um, Lovecraft Country failed in the colorism department. I didn't get a chance to read the article in full, but I know that some people felt that some people felt that Lovecraft Country put everything in the kitchen sink in except for um, dealing with colorism um, in, a, in a viable manner. And I guess it's because between Ruby and Letty, um, by Ruby being dark skinned and Letty being light skinned. Um, but I wish I'd have had a chance to read an article because I actually saw it late last night before I was prepping for this. Um, and I told myself I was going to read it though, but I didn't get a chance to. My parents called and just ruined all that. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, I really didn't, I guess I didn't see it. I just felt like in this time period of Jim Crow, if you weren't white, you was just the enemy anyway. You know, 
that's how I looked at it. Um, but within the black community, I could see why Ruby was probably like trying to do good and probably was upset with the fact that, you know, Letty was getting away with a lot of stuff and she wasn't. And then on top of that, um, but I look at that and I look at the fact that she was trying to get a Marshall Fields, but the girl who actually got the job was the same complexion as she was, which I thought was, um, you know, interesting, but she was smaller I mean, than she was. She was less qualified than she, was. Than she right. was. Right. And so if I think that if they had a cast somebody else who was lighter, like lighter complected than the two of them, I think that probably would have been like the uh that would have been like very it would have been a subtle take on colorism like when she's light-skinned she's exotic looking so she gets his position more than you you know because you know but I don't know what do y'all think because I I I and I'm just asking because I didn't really see it in the show but apparently some people felt that you know like Victor said that colorism was a problem. So I just didn't see, like, you know, know, educate me, so. I think where people are getting their criticism from is when it comes to uh, Letty and Ruby, Letty had all of this protection. She even had Mm. the invulnerability uh, spell for her versus Ruby when she had to deal with something, when she was going through something, she had to deal with it by herself. Add to um, trying to work at Marshall Fields. She was taking accounting classes, uh, I think typing classes as well. She was more than qualified than more than half of the people on this floor to be uh, a salesperson. Mm -hmm. When she gets there, she already sees this other slender woman, slender dark-skinned woman that she can tell when she takes the um, the transformation potion from uh, Christina uh, that she's not as qualified as she is. Uh, so I think the people, people's criticism of the colorism in Lovecraft is valid especially when at the end we see that Ruby apparently died by Christina. Mm. And I always felt that was like odd, um, especially when Ruby and Christina started to make out. I was like, there was no indication of some kind of love between them at all. And then all of a sudden, Rubius just started making out with Christina. I thought that was very out of character for Ruby. And I don't know how she just went away, so to speak, um, at the end. It was a, a disservice to her character. And I think it was a disservice to plus size, dark skinned black women to show them that they are expendable to promote a light-skinned Black woman's agenda. So, yeah, I think there's, there's always criticism when it comes to colorism. 
like you said earlier, uh, Victor, about um, dear white people, how the dark skin characters storylines were not taken so much care of in terms of the lighter skin counterparts. It's it's a fine line to walk when you are trying to talk about colorism, but then you have the star of one of your show is a light-skinned person. It's it's a very fine uh, line to walk. And just because we're critiquing it doesn't mean we don't like it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, yeah it, it's that's very true. I think that again, when we look at this genre, <laughs> we haven't been in it, so there's going to be a lot of complex pieces in it. You know, you think about our genre in general. It's always, it's always been like it's always the situation of this person was abused, so that's why you're killing people, or you know this situation happened with family, so that's why somebody went crazy and this is why they are doing what they're doing or something like that. And so it's interesting to see that when this genre hits us as Black people, it's, you can tell it's too new to us because we don't know how to to handle it. That it's hard. People are gonna die, people are gonna be killed. Nobody is safe and no situation is clean. Everybody's complex to some degree. You think about all the damn screen movies, everybody is complex in some ways. Um, it's funny because they were talking about like, damn, Atticus' family is all screwed up. I have to screw his family like that up. I'm like, well, damn, let's look at Sydney Prescott. If you look at her family, <laughs> her mom was out here in the streets, hoeing, cheating on her daddy, had a, had a son, abandoned him. Now he's up here orchestrating the entire murder of Sydney Prescott. And then it turned around to her niece, not her niece, her cousin, who <laughs> was trying to, you know, jump in on it. So yeah, in this yes, genre, niece. <laughs> <laughs> so in this genre, yes, everybody's got some screwed up family. Jason Voorhees' mama got mad because she thought he was dead, killed everybody. Um, Halloween. I mean, but yeah. she was. I can understand her. Honestly, <laughs> I can understand Jason's mom for the one that killed him, badass kids. Well, you, you know what? Yeah. I have to say this. I am not mad that. Uh, people used her monologue. I found out people used her monologue in auditions. <laughs> wow, well, that's a good monologue. Yeah, what? you know. Which I'm like, uh, that on a side note, I'm like, you know, I, and I, I remember, I, 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 in the acting class in college, I was like, oh, we did that. We did that whole scene as the mother. Um, we we went we went dramatic. We had like three different versions of the mother, how you would do it. But anyway, I'm just thinking wow. of. You, this genre is so new to us that we're not able to digest it or absorb it the way we would normally do other horror. And that's because it's been white for so long. So when we see this complexity as we were seeing in this show, for some people it was like, how dare you? I'm like, well, if you break it down, again, this is the horror genre. Yes, your family is going to be screwed up. They may be the reason why you're being killed or being stopped. Um, And there's always some issues where somebody is going to get the bad end of the stick. You know, again, you think about some of the horror movies we've seen. Randy from Scream. You like, mm-hmm. they kill Randy. Or, you know, right. you about all that. The rules. 
which is funny, we're talking about Scream because Scream gave you the rules. These rules also apply to anything in horror. That's gonna apply to us black people in horror too. That we're, it's not gonna be easy. It's not gonna be safe. It's not gonna be a, a, a ending that we want. Uh, right. So I think that was kind of what people struggled with. Um, and some criticism is fair. The way you, I'm saying her name, Ujama, you saying they, their name. name. Yeah, that could have been done a whole lot better. Um, as well as we could have, um, some parts of the story kind of got thrown off a little bit, like the whole Raiders in the Lost Ark version <laughs> part of the story. Shout out them doing that Indiana Jones. Oh, I was like, okay, okay girl. This, I mean, I made the joke. Is this Goonies right now? But um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it was part of the book. It was. But uh, I got a. I, I got a question. That's a question statement. Um, well. It's mostly a statement, but I'm going to pose it as a statement question. Anyway, when it comes to our partaking in the horror genre, and I'm thinking that I'm trying to fix the words right. Basically, I'm going to say this. I feel like it's dangerous to come at this genre and thinking that we're going to be like pristine Scott free of any type of complexities uh-huh. you know in the genre because I guess they're looking like well um, we don't want nobody to air dirty laundry or we don't want anybody to look at us in a crazy way we don't, we don't want to uh, be part of a stereotype but I feel that that's a dangerous way of approaching horror because I feel like Avert, averting complex characters of complex storylines, complex situations, you are content in being in the trope that we're trying to break in horror in general. Mm. You know, like, oh, she was a great person, you know, because it's like we used to being the best friend who can do no wrong. Uh-huh. We're one of the good people. You know what I'm saying? Because we're helping the good white folk out. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like when we tell these tales, it's going to be dirty. It's going to be nasty. And that's okay. I mean, because we've had roles in in television where we've been great people. You know what I'm saying? We've shown that we can be just as humane. I'm not saying that we, that we can be. We are just as humane as, you know, like people keep trying to other us, but we're like we're we're just like you. We just at us we have different culture, you know, we have different backgrounds, different um ways of looking at stuff. However, we're still have like some issues that y'all have and whatnot. But I, I, I just look at it like do y'all think that by we can be we can we can credit we can have good criticism, but it's like if we continuously criticize certain things, then will we even prosper in this genre, if that makes any sense? I think, for one, we have to get out of, get out of that trope as, as far as um, a perfect character, because mm-hmm. film is supposed to be a reflection of society, and society is far from perfect, so, if we're looking for this art form to be a reflection of us, the characters also have to be a reflection of us. Right. 
So they have to be messy. They have to be complicated. They have to be this sort of crazy, I won't say crazy, but complicated. Right. I mean, that's why a lot of people resonated with, um, uh, oh God, what is her name? Um, Viola Davis and How to Get Away with Murder. Um, Mm -hmm. God, what is her name? Uh, The main character. Yeah, Annalise Keating. Because she was so messy. She was was, uh, alcoholic. She got away with murder so many fucking times. Uh, she lost her law license. She, it was just a lot of things that made her messy. That's why people fell in love with Kerry uh, Washington's character on Olivia Scandal, Pope. Uh, Olivia Pope, because she was messy. She was fucking around with a married man. She was fucking around with two men at the same time. She was doing all this hoops and hollers and all this shenanigans, uh, trying to get people off. Um, so we look to cinema and TV as a reflection of what we see in the real world. So this whole thing of this being the perfect character myth is, I think it's a trope that needs to be done for. And also I'll add that for some, or for a lot of people, a lot of black people, colorism is a type of horror. Mm-hmm. That's why a film like Get Out was to me an apex of horror because, you know, we've had this conversation of Victor about what kinds of horror films that we like. And I'm more of a psychological person uh, than like a, a slasher. And the psychological horrors of racism and colorism and all of those isms is far more horrifying to me than a random white man with a, a mass slashing uh, little college co-eds up. Mm. Yeah, I, I I think that, you know, as as we continue to see more of this, it's going to be messy. And it's interesting how we accept the messiness from the white characters. You think about J.R. Ewing, you think about the ones we watched on soap operas, you know, for all these years. Um, it, it, or even like, a, even a, 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 um, I'm thinking of Carrie, Carrie from Sex in the City. I can't think of her last name right now. But Bradshaw. Uh, Bradshaw. Bradshaw. Like you think about the fact that we have, accepted the messiness of these white characters, but when we become messy, that is just problematic. I'm like, mm, no, no, it's not. Because that's, we are, in real life, all of us are messy. All right. of us are messy. All of us have done stuff, sleeping with married men or two men at once, or hell, I even met myself, sleeping with your girlfriend one minute, turn around, sleep with the roommate within two hours of that. That was different. I'm, that's, mm. like, we all are messy. Mm. <laughs> we all are messy. This was in college, everybody. So, yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah, we're all a messy. And I think sometimes seeing the messiness of others is hard for us to accept our own messiness. Uh, I think, right. that, especially when it comes to black characters, because we've been led to believe that we don't, that we always take the high road or we don't get into stuff like that. Um, with me being somewhat older and growing up in the 80s, you would think white, white people were the only ones who just did shenanigans and got away with it or 
white people, you know, I was raised, basically if I was raised by TV, I would have been told that white people always get away with everything they do. They could drive a car straight through a mall and still be able to go to school the next day. Uh, <laughs> go to Tijuana, have sex with people and come back like it was nothing or um, hell, or I was also taught that they, gonna, they just die right off the bat really quick because they go off to these camps nobody's there watching them and then they did you know it's like uh, that like it still yeah. gets to me like growing up thinking about the fact that tina and nightmare i'm sure was 16 when she was killed but that is something that when i look back at i'm like wow she was 16 16 that's that little boy down the street who's 16 and you see that happening but i guess when it happens to us it's a, it is a whole different thing but i think we haven't accept that part of the genre or seen ourselves enough in that genre to kind of be like, okay, that's how it goes. That makes sense, um, right? So yeah, it's 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 it's. I do hope that we will we'll have to play through the horror tropes. We can make new tropes as we move forward. But I think as we will see more black horror, and and it's interesting because we we're seeing black horror come out now. We got bad hair. We have mm. spell that's coming that's coming out. Um, it's a huge billboard. I saw it last night at um, Paramount. Um, and there's another movie coming out. There's a couple already out there, like um, Black Box um, that is out there on, um, I think, Amazon right now. But um, yeah. And currently, the Purge series, um, which, which, which um, one of the movies did address kind of issues of being Black or being a person of color. But the TV series, two seasons have, had, have featured Black characters. Right. Uh, I'm currently watching the second season now. So um, it's very fascinating that in this genre, uh, it's going to be very challenging to a lot of us to kind of get used to what is normally in the horror genre. I think yeah. also, like, the sometimes the way that we can't face a complicated or messy character is because we were always told that you have to do this, this, this and this to be successful and you can't mess up because if you're black if you're gay if you're lesbian if you're trans if you're something that's other you have one shot and one shot only and if you get it wrong you may not never get another shot mm -hmm. so i think that plays another if it factors into this whole trope of the per perfect black person in a war mm -hmm. yeah I, I just saw that today on twitter someone uh, danny Yor tweeted about how this whole issue of you know we're not allowed to be perfect um when it comes to as creators the minute that we talk about race the minute we call these things out it's curtains for us but let you know white authors or creators they can talk about whatever they want and still get rewarded you know i think about no shade to him, but what's his name who used to direct um, Gal Guard Guard Guardians of James the Gun. Yeah. And now he's doing um, Suicide Squad. Like, I'm like, wow, that would have been us. We wouldn't have direct. We'd be lucky to direct a Lifetime movie <laughs> at this point. So, I mean, yeah. Or the people that actually say that they're, oh, I'm an Asian writer and then turn out to be white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and 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 the main editor in chief of a major comic book company. So how mm. you know it's interesting how that stuff happens. It really, really is. Mm. 
So to, to close in on Lovecraft Country, what, I, I feel like we, I want like, did, basically I feel like y'all liked it, um, but do you think it should be, and Nick, you kind of already mentioned this, should it be another season or should this just be it? You go ahead, we Mark. Talk, oh, okay, we talked about this <laughs> with another group of my friends talked about this. I want a season two, but because the I, I know everybody keeps saying, why do you keep going back to the book? Because the way the book was written, it was written with an open-ended um it, it, it left it open. It, it left the storyline open for another book. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Misha and crew not only killed the main like the main character but also a couple of main characters it's like where can the story go now i didn't want them to pull a watchman because watchman did the exact same damn thing i'm thinking like oh we finna get a second season it's gonna be five you know it's gonna be all and then next thing you know they tell us a two three days after the show the last episode aired Oh, that was a limited series. And some folks were like, well, they said that from Gate. I'm like, not necessarily. They said, you know, season finale. Now, if they just said the finale, that's a different thing. But when you sit there and put the word season <laughs> finale before the, uh, you know, before the final episode, as the final episode, you're expecting another season or whatnot. But they said that, you know, it was going to be just, it was a limited series. And I've known shows that premiered as limited series but ended up going two or three, four more seasons. Um, Big Little Lies, Under the Dome, you know, all these epic um, shows that get all these, these these ratings and stuff like that. They came back for a second season. They made it happen. Um, so for me, I'm I'm itching for a second season. But like Nick said. If they leave it off like this, that's cool. But, you know, just give us a definitive. Like, it's been too long since they done announced. They would have been announced by now, especially that since Lovecraft Country's final episode broke ratings um, records. So, um, if they leave it open-ended, that's fine. If they leave, if they do say this is it, that's fine too. I'm gonna come to conclude. It's been a week for me to come to terms with this, but it's been hard. It has been hard as hell. But I thought the same thing with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. When the master was killed, I'm like, who's gonna be the villain next season? So <laughs> I said, who's gonna they kill the master? She's cool, she's fine, she ain't gotta worry about nothing else. And then they came in with Spike and Drew. I'm like, oh shit. Then it just you can find ways of doing continuity on because that particular genre is um you got um what's the word I'm looking for? You got plot threads and cliffhangers and stuff within that whole right final episode. So they can find some way of doing it. But if they decide to just let it go, I will have to go purchase the Lovecraft Country complete uh, complete series set and put it on my um blu-ray shelf and watch it whenever i get a chance to just binge it you know what i'm saying so that's my answer to that i could take her to leave another season and i I don't say that as like i really don't care it's just how they ended was good right 
but I don't know what else they can tell. I mean, they could probably tell a lot of different stories. However, I am cool with them killing the white lady, (laughs) taking the magic from them, and that being done. Mm -hmm. You know, I would, it's interesting to see what they could do with a world with black people having magic. Um, Wasn't there a comic book, something? Oh my God, I don't know what it was. That only the black people had certain powers. Yes, black. That's what it was. Okay, so they could go that route, mm-hmm. but I, I, I could take it or leave another season. They, if they did another season, it could be one. It could be you know an anthology. You know, in that world where you know how Ryan Murphy does American Horror Story, it mm-hmm. could be, or even how they're doing. Um, how they do um the haunting of. Um, white man or wherever it's going. <laughs> He's so stupid. <laughs> um, they, can do, they can do it that route um, to where it could be the same actors, a different situation. Because to me, Lovecraft Country is basically saying white America. Right. Um, that's what that meant to me when I saw the title. It's like, this is white America with magic and how we deal with that. Um, and so they could do it as like same people, different characters, a different genre. It could be, now we could be in the seventies. We could be in the eighties. It can be in some different form where it it can take a theme from Lovecraft and still mix it in with something else. They can do that. And I will be fine with that. They do that well. As you mentioned, Big Little Lies, even though that was a second season, that we didn't need that second season. (laughs) And I watched that season because I love Big Little Lies, but we didn't need a second season. Um, uh, It was just, they just drawed out the last pieces from the the last chapter of that book to do like another series. Well, they added some other stuff, but it was, yeah. So I'm just saying that if they do one, just make it really different. But the way it ended, I was like, okay. Because somebody said that they can they can go into the future and, and deal with his son. Because since they mentioned his son, Atticus' son. Or since um, uh, uh, Hippolyta went through all of these multiverses, right. they could go to a multiverse where Tick doesn't die. Right. That's what I was thinking. So that's what, like, as you say that, I'm like, well, maybe they could do that. Maybe they can do another like i don't know it it seems on par for what marvel is trying to do now um so i mean why not true because it could be that way or it could have been because hippolyta came back that something changed or something you know triggered something somebody wants to come through and do something else now you know how it always is with these movies like once you change something that means some it's right. like the whole Carolina effect. It's like, oh, you went to the other side, Carolina. Now they all want to come through because they got to see what tastes you in a way. So mm-hmm. now, right. Yeah. And also, because uh, I, I didn't pick up on it because I guess I was just too exi- excited when I was watching the episode, but somebody said that it was a throwaway line when Tick said when he came back that when he got the book from a, a shrouded black woman from the future with the metal arm. And I didn't even take that as being like, I didn't know that was D. 
I didn't get that either just just now. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, it, so they was asking at the end of like, so which D was there at the end of the episode when she said they will never learn? Well, they still haven't learned because I'm like, is that the D from the future or what? Because that line fucked me up. That's why I was saying like when Tick walked away, we want to take. When they was walking through the bridge with Tick, I'm like, okay, that's not gonna be a second season. This is it. But then when they right. gave us that do they 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 knew my um D walking up and saying they will never learn. And I was like, who is they? Like, is it like white people? Cause you know, that's when Christina was asking for help and she was talking to the Shogoth. I'm like, is she talking to the Shogoth saying like they will never learn that, you know, or is she talking about how um her mom and Montrose and Letty just let this woman stay here and like, cause somebody could have walked up and been like, you know, let's get let us help Miss Miss Christina, you know, uh-huh. and then it can cast some device. So it's like, no, you need to close all these threads so that she can't come back and fuck with us again. So she killed her. I don't understand why it was Dee's responsibility to kill Christina because right. if I was supposed to, if this woman had did so much damage. She had killed my son. She had endangered my family for this whole time. I'm just going to let her die. You know, I'm going to make sure that she is dead before I leave. I'm not going to wait until the life drains about her. No, I am going to do it myself if those rocks didn't do it. So that was kind of odd in a way to let D, as young as she is, crushed this woman's neck. Right. Um, I found that, yeah, just odd and kind of lackluster in the writing. But if they're going to go for it with another season, maybe that does in turn serve a purpose. I kind of I kind of like that D did it because it did make me think, is this the D from the future or what have you? But, but it also kind of sing, signaled that same trope of losing your innocence because she she basically lost all her innocence. Now this is where she is the same way as you think about um, what's the name in um, Terminator. um, You think, you know, and she lost her innocence. So she knew going towards the future that it's going to be bleak (laughs) and, you know, Sarah Connor, you know, yeah, you had Sarah Connor, you had, Hell, Sydney Prescott, everybody who went through something like that, that's what they ended up in losing their innocence and realizing what was going to happen. And it does make me wonder, is this the one from the future because of the timelines that have been open? But also, will Dee be the one that tells a different story? Will she be the one that goes through the journeys? Because she was drawing this stuff out in the beginning anyway. And uh-huh. the story she was telling now this it could be about her own adventures and it could be about what she learns throughout the struggle so what i get from now thinking about dd is pretty much all the characters we've ever read from harry potter to everything carol ann sydney prescott you know everybody who survived something laurie strode they're at a new level of 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 being at this point and what does that mean for them so if they did do another season, it could be about what Dee discovers or what she, you know, learns throughout her life because she will now enter the new world differently than how the others did. Okay. Yes. Well, that was fun. 
<laughs> All the yeah. stuff, everything. Mark, tell everybody where they can find you. Oh, well, you can find me on Instagram um, under Midnight Social Distortion or Mark Oestis. I tend to, ha Mark Oestis is a private account. So if you do add me, uh, send me a message saying who you are so I can add you because I've had a lot of people add me and they seem like they were bots. So I've been hitting the block and delete button a lot in, the, in that section. And you also can find me on Twitter at the Anti-Critic. Um, and also I have the Midnight Social Distortion blog.wordpress.com. I've taken most of the content of there and um, switched it to a Wix account. I'm still trying to get that situated out. And I'm trying to start up a YouTube channel soon. So hopefully they'll be out sometime either by the end of this year or next year. And you can also find me on the CNP Horror Podcast. Um, we're just on episode two. Episode three drops this Tuesday. Awesome. And like always, you can find us on Twitter. We are at Machine one You can like, rate, subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, and also Spotify. Our website is podoftheshame.com. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Machine. Uh, is there anything else before we get about it here? No, um, but you know, y'all take it easy. The next couple of weeks are going to be crazy. Interesting. And mm -hmm. I think we'll be back during the aftermath. <laughs> so, Oh God. We'll see what we'll be talking about then, but you know, take, you know, make sure y'all take the time to get yourselves ready for what this will be. Mm. Like stuff. But you know, enjoy Halloween. That's next week. So yeah, that's not careful out there, y'all. Exactly. Yeah. Wig your mask. Please vote. Uh, all that good shit. Yes. <laughs> and we'll see y'all next time.